0: Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cool Cullen, Dear draw the sorrows, Grown, you wail. From giants right down to fairies, of the drooping and solitary. And who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 86 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we are going to be talking about the origin of the Norse. I repeat, on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we are delving, just dipping the toe into Norse mythology but for first of all we would like to give a big welcome to any new listeners and to any returning listeners thank you so much for your continued support if you are a new listener this is going to seem like a very strange episode to join into why not listen to it and if you like it head back to the beginning to see what we've been building up to if you do like the podcast please do follow me on Instagram at firesidebard. and if you aren't on Instagram and you want to contact me please do so at the Fireside at gmail.com and if you really want to support the podcast you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast where you can join our ever-growing list of very generous and kind benefactors it is Uh, entirely an egalitarian model of soundness. That is totally up to yourself. But for those of you who are supporting on the uh, Patreon, uh, no new ones this week, but I want to give another thank you to the three most recent ones this month, Jack, D. Courtney and Sumner Show. Thank you so, so much for your continued support, uh, especially at these difficult trying times. The support on the Patreon has never been more appreciated. But I am going to keep doing this podcast, especially as we edge ever closer to 100 episodes. We're about 14 weeks away, which is still a few months, but versus one episode, it is so close to 100, and that'll be such a great milestone to pass, and I've got very big plans for the 100th episode and beyond, and indeed for episodes 86 through 99 and 100 onwards. So do stay listening to... Oh dear, hang on. Did I just... Sorry, my headphone just went a bit fuzzy on me. But without further ado this week on the podcast last time we were handling the sagas or the mythic cycle of stories we had just begun my new invasion cycle or saga which I've begun with the Viking invasion of Ireland in the eighth century and we're handling handling a more an area of Irish history of Irish history where myth and history Indeed, mixed. And because we gave this introduction to the Viking and we're gonna be dealing with the Vikings for the next couple of weeks, I thought it only right and couldn't couldn't help but indulge myself and have a crack at adapting the origin of the Norse gods. And what what a treat this was. Like they're so many adaptations and so many phenomenal way better versions of the origin of the north than i could ever do first and foremost in my mind and i'm sure in a lot of your minds neil gaiman's 2016 norse mythology which as i've said many times on this podcast was one of the main inspirations for me starting the podcast it's where i got the name fireside bard from was from that Neil Gaiman book, it's been a huge influence to me and it was so so good so much fun re listening to it again and again, adapting these stories. I actually tried to not to listen to it too much, to try and not be influenced too much because god damn it, Neil Gaiman just finds a perfect way of saying things and he manages to put his unique spin on just about everything and I really appreciated the master at his work in my own humble way Then trying to adapt to myself I've never claimed to be doing like check out his version and I have another few sources that I've been going off which I'll talk a bit more about afterwards as well but this is my version and this is, this, is the, this is the version of Norse mythology from an Irish storyteller point of view and very much from the frame of reference of the Irish gods in Ireland following after the Viking invasion. But I will let the tale speak for itself and we'll talk a bit more about it afterwards. This is The Origin of the Norse on Fireside. The Origin of the Norse When the Norse came to the island of Ere, they brought cities, they brought commerce, and they brought their own gods. After nearly 50 years of Viking raids, a band of Norse warriors settled in Ireland. Once here, a lot of them did convert to Christianity. But some, even some of the Christian converts, still held on to their own gods. As one Christian Viking would later say, On land, I pray to St. Patrick. At sea, I pray to Thor. The Celts had no creationist myth that we know of. The earth existed, for reasons they didn't know, nor did they cast aspersions. Rather, the Celts believed that this tiny, windy island in the northeast Atlantic Sea went through a series of settlements beginning after the Great Flood. But where our fireside saga began was with the landing of the Tua de Danu. It is said that the people of the goddess Danu came from the four cities of Forius, Gallius, Morius, and Phineas. The only thing we know about these four island cities is that they were north of Ireland. Far north, perhaps. Perhaps the Tuatha Dé had more in common with the Vikings who would occupy the island so many years later than was originally thought. And speaking of original thought, what was it that these Norse warriors believed? Well, in the beginning, there was nothing but fire and ice. To the north, the realm of Niflheim, which existed before the world... Home to 14 poisonous rivers. To the south, Muspel, the world of fire. In Muspel stands Surt, the guardian with his flaming sword. It is said that when Ragnarok comes, Surt will leave his post and destroy the world. Thus returning the planet to the fire and ice from which it was birthed. In between Niflheim and Muspel, there was a void called Ginnungagap. When the frost winds of Niflheim met the boiling steam of Muspel, it birthed the first living thing. They were neither male nor female, but both. This was Ymir, the first giant. For years, Ymir slept and from the crease of their armpit and the area between their legs Emir gave birth to the ancestors of all the giants finally Emir was awoken by Audumla a cow too large for imagination to conceive she had been born of the frost and when Emir finally awoke they found they were quite hungry the great giant crawled beneath the galactic cow and began to feast. In turn, Odumla then developed a thirst of her own. She began to lick the great blocks of ice around the Gnunga Gap. The more the cow licked, the more the ice began to melt away, like ice creams in the fifteen minutes of an Irish summer. Soon, hair was visible in the ice. Then a head, shoulders until from the ice came the first man, Bori. From Bori all the gods and goddesses are descended. Bori begot Bor, who took a wife with a giantess born from Ymir named Bestla, and from the union of Bestla and Bor were born three sons, Vili, they, and their eldest son, who would become the all-father of both gods and humans, Odin. Odin and Vili and they were raised in the void of Gnungagap. They had been born, but there was still no world for them to live in. So they decided to create one. There was only one thing for it. They killed the great giant Ymir so that the world could be created. And so much blood gushed from the wounds of Emir that it created a flood in which all the giants were drowned. All that is, except for two. And from these two, all giants are descended. It wasn't just that Emir needed to be killed for the world to live. His body was the very bricks and mortar. His blood became the seas and lakes. His skull became the sky, the clouds his thoughts, from his flesh the earth, his bones the mountains, and his teeth the stones and sand. But this new world was still floating aimlessly in space, so Odin and Vili and Vey steadied it by creating four dwarfs. These dwarfs were called North, South, East, and you guessed it, West. They balance us all to this day. Now that the world existed, there needed to be people to occupy it. So Odin and Vili and Vey created them too. From the newly created oceans, they lugged two logs of wood, one of the ash tree and one of the elm. Odin breathed life into these two trees. Vili gave them will, desire and need, and Vey carved them, giving them shape and genitalia. One male, the other female. The male was named Ask, after the ash tree, and the female, Embla, from the elm. From Ask and Embla, all humans are descended. And this, this is why Odin is called the Allfather, because he is the father of the gods and the creator of human. Whether we are mortal or divine, Odin is the father of us all. Finally, Odin and Vili and Vay wanted to protect this world and the people they had created. So they took Emir's eyelashes and created a fence all around their new world. A world they called Midgard, the middle place. Ask and Emla were placed inside the fence so that they may be protected from the giants. Odin and and Villainvey would live in another realm, one especially for the gods, or as they would become known, the Aesir. This world would be called Asgard. The two worlds, Midgard and Asgard, lie on the great world tree Yggdrasil. This is a giant ash tree and the biggest in the cosmos. It connects not just the world of the gods and the humans, but of the giants, the dwarves, and every other creature. In all, there are nine worlds, and the roots and branches of Yggdrasil connect them all. It is from this tree that Odin hanged himself. He stabbed his side and hung from Yggdrasil for nine days. Odin sacrificed himself to himself and was reborn capable of reading the ancient runes. These runes became the alphabet. And this is why Odin is also known as the Gallows God. In fact, Yggdrasil means Odin's horse, or Odin's gallows. The gods do still visit Yggdrasil every day, but it is not the world tree that they travel on between the worlds. This is done on Bifrost, the portal of the gods. Bifrost is guarded by Heimdall, the guardian, and only the gods may travel this way. If a human were to travel on Bifrost, they would burn alive. If you look to the skies, you can see where a god has traveled to Midgard by what we call a rainbow. And the rainbow has become the stereotypical hoarding spot of leprechaun gold. Gold that is said to have been hidden in Ireland by the Vikings. The connections between the worlds abound. Could the rainbow be the gods travelling on Bifrost to collect their buried treasure? Hmm. Odin was known to love travelling in disguises to Midgard. This made the Norse value hospitality to the highest degree. They lived in fear that the stranger they turned away at their door may in fact be Odin in disguise. But Odin had begun the world with blood, and it is as a god of war he was first and foremost. When advances in sailing would allow them, the Norse people created a new profession, Viking, and they would take to the seas of Midgard in search of plunder and slaves for Odin and the gods. Finally, What of the other gods? Well, Odin married Frigg, and she is the mother, the highest of the goddesses. Odin's most famous son is the mighty Thor, the strongest of all the gods, who with his girdle and iron gloves wields the hammer Mjolnir, which he uses to beat the stuffing out of giants and control the seas and the skies. Thor is... Not the wisest, and so is quick to anger, but he is good-natured, and usually just as easy to calm as annoy. There are the twins, Frey, god of weather, crops, and wealth, and Freya, the most beloved of the gods, goddess of fertility and relationships. She has her own hall called Battlefield, where she shares the daily tally of slaughtered warriors with Odin. Odin shares the heavy duty of god of war with the god Tyr. And from these we get the names for the days of the week. Tyr's day, Odin's day, Thor's day, and Frigg's day became Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Last, and certainly not least, there is the god from whom a day of the week would never be named. That is Loki. Ah, Loki. The smartest and most cunning of all the gods. But he rarely uses his skills for good. Loki is conniving, jealous, and often downright cruel. He is a bit too fond of a pint. He is Odin's blood brother, but was born of the giants. He lives in Asgard with the gods, but will be the cause the end of the world, Ragnarok. Ragnarok is when the giants will finally rise up against the gods of Asgard, and they will be led by Loki's children, the wolf Fenrir, the Midgard serpent, and the goddess of the underworld, Hel. Odin is arming warriors for Ragnarok. He has built a hall to feed and house them. Valhalla. The only way for the mortals of Midgard to gain entry to Valhalla is to die in battle. If so, Odin will send the warrior women of the Valkyrie to ferry your soul to Valhalla. When the Norse looked to the skies and saw the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights, they believed this was the Valkyrie bringing souls to Valhalla. It is said, in Ragnarok, the gods will fall. What isn't known is when this will happen. Maybe the gods are already dead. Maybe their doom still awaits. This was the attitude the Norse raiders came to Ireland with. Their lives were short. Their world had a beginning, and it certainly had an end. Their only hope for immortality was to die in battle, and Ireland was just one more battlefield to be continued. And that was uh, a brief but still thorough enough origin of the Norse beliefs and the Norse gods on Fireside and I hope you very much enjoyed it that was so much fun I had so much fun doing that it was such a refresher because um, writing and adapting the Irish myths and folk folk tales is obviously a total joy and feels more and more like My mission and my purpose, you know, to to get deeper and deeper and get better and better of them. But it's hard going and it's hard going because there are so few sources, you know, and that's why I think this podcast resonates with people and why I wanted to start this podcast and why I think this podcast does do something that other podcasts don't necessarily is this is work that I think needs to be done this tradition needs to be protected and upheld and it's my favourite thing in the world when I do get messages from people like particularly in the likes of America where people talk about having Irish lineage or an Irish parent or grandparent and being told these stories or wishing that they had been told these stories and then saying they're going to tell their kids these stories that's what it's all about, take them, tell them keep them alive and tell them yourself, tell them in words but the reason that this is important work is because it's hard and because there isn't as many sources for the Irish myths and the Irish folk tales as there is. There's like there's very dense versions of them and there's the versions in the old Irish and there just isn't a lot on them and that's what makes it such rewarding. Work is sifting through and trying to find a cohesive line through through the stories and through the mythology and that's what I hopefully think I've done at least to a little degree and scratched the surface on is put some kind of structure on the four uh, sagas of Ireland and now I'm really looking for, looking, enjoying going through the stage of mythology and history where the lines start to get blurred and there's no better time for that than the Viking invasion when there's so much we do know but still a huge amount we don't know about this Viking time. There's huge amount of misconception about this period and I hope that I can clear that up in some way, still remaining a storyteller and not a historian because there are plenty of historians who know their stuff way more about the facts and about what happened and could answer your questions way more. All I can do is try and put, without going against history and without lying to you of trying to attempting to put a true narrative over the individual stories and sagas of the viking time in dublin and indeed any any future time we do on this podcast but what i mean by all that is the norse mythology there's so many adaptations of it and there are so many sources from it uh, not just Neil Gaiman's recent one. Neil Gaiman did a wonderful job of streamlining it. But uh, I mentioned my Norse mythology, another Norse mythology source I have, which was a Norse uh, sagas, sagas and stories. I think it's called. I, I remember the name of the author. I usually have it in my bag with me, but I don't have it with me. Um, ah, yes, here it is: Viking myths and sagas by Rosalind. Kerwin by Rosalind Kerwin that has been a really really I got it as a gift for Christmas uh, this year because I went to Norway at the start of the year and knew that I wanted to start approaching Norse mythology at least touching on it to time with the Vikings because there's such a massive Viking influence in Dublin even to this day so it still felt right and it still felt a part of the Irish mythology and the Irish history so this was a book I was given and it has proved invaluable in terms of streamlining it's quite uh, bare bones but it, in terms of the mythology but it just kind of breaks it down to the key players and has really good notes in it and delves into the sagas as well so delves into later more historical stories such as the story of the stories of Ragnar Lothbrok and the stories that the TV series Vikings delves into a little bit. And I haven't read it all, uh, but I've been working with it and studying it and annotating it while adapting this, and it was really, really useful. Then I've also been using the Vikings Great Courses book, which I talked about, our, our audio book. That has been invaluable. In terms of just the history of the Viking time in Ireland from a Viking point of view, because I think a huge part about the Irish narrative of Vikings in Ireland is it just views the Vikings as the enemy, as the invader and the more they became ingrained in Irish society, the more they became the Irish themselves. So it wasn't quite as black and white as just these marauding, bearded, axe-wielding Vikings coming over and then them being repelled. It was a lot more complex than that. And that's, again, a thing I will only be able to scratch the surface on, but I hope I'll be able to enlighten a little bit about it and keep it still storytelling and fun. Um, But that was great as well. That had an early lecture on the Norse mythology from a religious point of view so what did they actually believe so for example there are very few temples uh, to Odin and to Thor and all certainly still in existence probably because a lot of them would have been sculpted in wood but that was very interesting to come from a historian's point of view and a lecturer's point of view as to what what of these stories were used to entertain on those long cold nights or those long summer evenings and what were actually beliefs? What were they praying to? And you get a lot that certainly with Thor, he was prayed to on the seas. God of thunder, God of the sea and sky. He was the one who was pissed if it was stormy and he was the one you were thanking if it was calm. And with Odin, even with Tyr as the god of battle, uh, you had Odin, who you were praying to, on the battlefield and you wanted to die in battle so that you go go to Valhalla. And this weird and wonderful origin story, so different to Celtic mythology. First and foremost, Celtic mythology doesn't really have a beginning and it doesn't really have an end. It has a blend. It has a blending. But the reason certainly Neil Gaiman prefers Norse mythology so much is because it does have an ending and the ending of Ragnarok and most fascinating about Ragnarok, we don't know if Ragnarok has happened yet so imagine that, that would be such a good reason as to why Thor and Odin and Loki aren't around anymore, is because they're dead, they've died they will die in Ragnarok whether it's happened or not, but maybe it hasn't happened yet and that is such a wonderful thing and such a wonderful way of concluding that it is a beginning middle and end it is the ultimate three act structure is Norse mythology and there are such wonderful stories in it and i won't be able to do all of them as 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 i would like because i have to kick stick to i have to stick to the irish narrative and just delve in this was a real pleasure for me you know a real um, labor of love because i loved i love these stories so much and and there was such a joy just to adapt, but I I don't feel there's really anything I can really bring to these that hasn't been said better in other versions, um. But I will still keep and and let me know if this is something you enjoyed or are enjoying or want me to touch on a little bit more, because there are definitely one or two other stories I do want to, to do. Um, certainly there is a story that is very much a Viking, a Viking myth, and. Somewhere along the line, it was repurposed as a story of Fionn McCool. And it is a Fionn McCool story that we haven't done because it very much, it isn't just a case of these stories coming up at the same time. This is too similar. It's too specific not to just be a new coat of paint, like player two version of this story of Thor. And I might just do the Fionn McCool one. I might do both. I haven't made my mind up yet. That's in a couple of weeks. But I'm really looking forward to that one. It's a story I've wanted to do a long time. It's a story that was uh, shared with me last year uh, from a listener, and I really appreciated it, and it got me onto a bit of a rabbit hole. But that is is still to come. And, yeah, so this was... It's convoluted, you know, to a degree at the beginning. There's a lot of names. There are a lot of names thrown at you, names that ultimately don't come back. Um... You know, we've got Buri and Bor, we don't have anything else about Buri and Bor. And you get names for the early giants and stuff, but I try to streamline that as much as I can. I try to just get to Odin, because it's Odin and Vili and Ve that are making the world. And, you know, it's important you get Emir and you know that the world was made with Emir. How wonderful is that, yeah, that the world was made with the slain body parts of a giant. How much does just that origin story just tell you everything you need to know about the Vikings and why the Vikings had the the notoriety and the fierceness that they had as their reputation. You know, not just that they had to die in battle but this is where they believed their inhospitable, like vicious, cold landscape their long, bright summer evenings this is where they believed they came from because they were living on the rotting corpse of a giant. It really doesn't get any better than that. Whereas the Celtic mythology, it almost has a more, I don't want to say scientific, but like almost rational point of view of it in that certainly not that we know, they don't really have a creationist myth. They have this idea the Christians then tried to repurpose and said that the first people on the island of Ireland was after Noah's Ark, that Ireland revealed itself and that there was a granddaughter of Noah who was on Ireland and then she drowned again and tried to tie it all together. But for the purposes of fireside, the first people who settled here were the Firbolg, uh, the Firbolgs and who... Then were defeated by the Tuatha Dé Danann, and it's the Tuatha Dé Danann that really begin ours because it's the Celts believe that all our all people of error were either descended from the Tuatha Dé Danann or from the Gaels who became the Celts, and that if you were a warrior, you were a descendant of the Gael, and if you were a poet or an artist, you were a descendant of the Tuatha Dé Danann, and the Tuatha Dé Danann kind of have an we have a blending where we have the Tuatha Dé Danann being defeated by the Gaels. Um, we have them going underground and becoming the fairies and they're still there. That's as far as we're concerned. They're still there and then the mythology becomes the folklore and you lead up to right today where we still have fairy mounds and we still have these beliefs. And I can't speak to what that's like in in Scandinavia and in Norway. You know, uh, I know that there is a lot of uh, trolls in Scandinavian folklore and that isn't just me being um, uh, stereotypical, or <laughs> what's the word I'm thinking of, uh, casting a judgment on that. I have been speaking to a couple of Scandinavian people about this, and they say that, yeah, trolls are a big thing um, in their folklore, and who knows, maybe we might get to touch on something like that one day. Um, sorry, yeah, I should say, I've said this before, that the reason... I said it said it last time, that the reason there are such good sources for the Viking and the Norse mythology and why there are so many versions is because we have two gospel texts, very definitely. We have the Prose Edda and the Poetic Edda. And the streamline of the Norse mythology comes from these two texts. You have the Prose Edda very much telling it as the stories and of telling how to teach them. It's almost a, a manual, a handbook in a way of how to teach these stories. And then you have the poetic Edda, which f- again, fills in a lot of the blanks and gives a lot of the colour and the character to a lot of these. And from these most versions of Norse mythology, come well from all, from these all versions of but Neil Gaiman, for example, he had been raised with many different adaptations and many different versions of the Norse myths. Uh, but when he was adapting them himself, he tried to just stick to the Zeta so that he wouldn't be influenced. And I can see what I mean, because I, even reading that back there, I was just reading lines and I go, that that came from Gaiman. That is definitely from the mouth of Gaiman. And In fairness, he does say in his introduction, you know, tell these stories yourselves, keep these going, and that is what I am doing. Uh, if I can spread these stories to a few more people a few more of you like I've spread these Irish stories I consider that a good thing and yeah let me know if you think this is me going way too off topic but I I do feel this is all colouring and this is all valuable because the Vikings were here for 200 years and then they never really left they still are very much a part of our DNA Like Irish people don't usually do their DNA checks or uh, you know their heritage or lineage we kind of all just assume that we've all been Irish forever Um. But I do know that Wicklow, where I'm from, was very much a Viking town, founded by the Vikings, and I know that it was Danish Vikings who founded it, uh, which is unusual because it's, it's mostly Norse Vikings that were in Ireland. And so, yeah, and I know that there is still a lot of Danish blood trickled down in that town, and that's why you got a lot of, you know, pale, blue-haired, blue-eyed, blue haired blue-eyed and blonde-haired Irish people. You know, you've still got that... Uh, That Scandinavian, that Viking blood in there somewhere. And with that, I'm going to wrap things up. But thank you so much for listening. This episode, again, was an absolute joy to do. And I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you so much to Alan, Paddy, and Connor here at Head Stuff. Great. Still, still great to be back in the studio. Makes me feel like life is a little bit more normal, even though we're still very much not out of the woods. I hope you're all self-insane if you are out there. do let me know uh, if you have any thoughts. Follow me on Instagram at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Support the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash firesidepodcast. Thank you to Jamie, my producer, for editing this podcast. And thank you all one more time for listening. And I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.